new subject, and that is the book of First Peter. And what we want to look at is the subject of suffering. If there's one area that we've seen that is many uh, Christians struggle with, and that is the area of suffering. The book of Peter, I thought it was excellent. I wrote it in my Bible. I don't know who said it. It says, it's the book of trial. And this book will either make you better or bitter. So suffering is either going to cause you and I to become better people or we will become bitter people. I think one of the, the major ruinations of people's ministry is bitterness. We've seen so many people become bitter in the ministry because things didn't go as they expected. People hurt them. Circumstances did not go right, and all of a sudden they find themselves really, really struggling. Now let's look at First uh, Peter and some of the teachings here. It was written to the elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved for you in heaven. I love this verse who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to reveal at the last time. Now Peter is going to switch here and pick up his theme, and this theme goes all through 1 Peter. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season if need be, ye are in heaviness because of manifold temptations. He's saying, I understand. I know what you're going through. It's understandable that you are having a heaviness in your heart because of the tremendous amount of, of situations and difficulties that you're going through. But he said, remember this, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perish, that though it be tried with fire, might be found unto the praise, the honor, and the glory at the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. This just speaks to my heart right now. It says the trial of your faith being much more precious than a gold that perished, though it be tried with fire. Right now, I believe we have 10 days until we must move out of our house. I think it's 10 days. And at this moment, at this point in time, I know not where we will live. So we're going to move a moving truckload of furniture out of our house and literally, we have no specific place to go to. We don't even have a down payment or a contract to be rejected or accepted on a house. That's in 10 days. So possibly by the time you're listening to this tape, I may be a full-fledged street person. Someone suggested that I get a basket from the store because they help a lot. And I thought, well, maybe I get a basket from the new baskets they have down at Kmart because they roll easy. And you may drive the streets of Sioux City and see my wife and myself and my son 
living on the streets of Sioux City. But right now, the only place we have to move to for sure is the streets. Isn't that interesting? I bet, Chris, you never thought I would be a street person. So now he said the trial of your faith, and we see this is a trial of our faith. God can provide a home in 10 days. It's going to be quite a miracle to do so, since right now we have nothing, and we're kind of a long ways from there. So let us continue to look at this whole theme, the theme of suffering. And as you study through Peter, you'll find he talks about the sufferings of Christ. He goes on and on and on in this book, chapter after chapter, coming back to this theme of suffering, of suffering, of suffering. Now we want to go to chapter 4. There's some very interesting insights in this chapter that God can teach us how you and I need to respond to suffering. You and I must respond to suffering. There's no way that we can go through a trial and not respond to it. Either we can resist the grace of God and become resentful, or you and I can uh, accept the grace of God, draw from the grace of God, which remember is God's empowerment. It works for trials, and we can go through that trial victoriously. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. For as much then as Christ had suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. Isn't that interesting? Arm, that is a military term. Take on the armament of the same mind. Remember, we have the helmet of the hope of deliverance. And here he says, arm yourself with the same mind. Have the same mental uh, value systems as Christ did towards suffering. For in that he had suffered in the flesh, had ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. So suffering is going to have a positive effect on me in discerning God's will for my life. Also, suffering is going to have a, a cleansing factor. Suffering. God does not waste suffering. So when I suffer, it's to cause me to cease or to begin to stop from sinning. So it's very important that you and I as believers learn how to suffer. And he said that we're to have the mind of Christ. Now, right now, we do not know what that mind is. That mind is recorded for us in chapter 2, also in chapter 3. But we want to look at chapter 4, and then we'll come back and pick up chapters 2 and 3, which will help us to understand something of the suffering that God is talking about. Let us move on now to verse 12 of chapter 4. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. Now he's writing to believers because he calls them beloved. And he says, don't think it strange concerning the trial. And he gives it a preference of a word that makes that trial, gives us some understanding of the intensity of trial. He calls it a fiery trial. It is difficult to go through a trial. It's extremely difficult to go through a fiery trial. What happens when you and I go through a difficult trial? What is our first response? Our first response is, why me? 
Why us? Why should we go through this? We have Chris that's here uh, in the studio tonight. And Chris was telling you a situation that took place in St. Louis where they witnessed a very terrible accident. It's an awful thing to witness an accident. We've seen it a few ourselves. And it, it, it's one thing to come on an accident after it's all over with. It's another thing to see one. It's a very traumatic type thing. And the question is, why did we have to see something like that? Why, why couldn't it have been four minutes later? We wouldn't have, we'd have known there was an accident, but we wouldn't have seen the whole thing taking place. Why? There is no question. Why? We can't answer the question why. But the Word of God says, you and I are going to go through trials. We're going to go through testings. And why not us? Others go through it. We must go through it too. If you will do something, I encourage you to walk with wise men and women. I encourage you to get the biographies of the life of great Christians. Read their lives, and you won't read the life of any great Christian that did not go through horrible trials. I don't know of any great Christian that did not go through very difficult times in their life. Right now, at this very moment, there is a Christian leader in America who had, while he was speaking, like a seizure. He went to the doctors. They ran tests on this man, and they found a brain tumor in the midst of his brain. This man, I believe, is 42 years of age, somewhere in that area, has a 14-year-old son and a 14-month-old baby. Or no, he probably has an 18-year-old son and a 14-month-old baby. And the doctor said this, you will die within the next 60 days. I talked to this man last week. We uh, met together and spent some time together. You know, if he would ask me this question, I thank God he didn't. Why? My ministry is just blossoming. They're asking us to write books. They're asking us to go on daily radio. They're asking us to do weekly television programs. Uh, why? He didn't ask that question, why, and I thank God, because I would have no answer. I was looking um, at some slides a few years ago, and these slides were taken a hundred years before, and they were being shown to us by the daughter of my, I guess, my favorite missionary couple, Jonathan and Rosalind Goforth. Their daughter Mary was in my church showing slides of her father's work in China that were over 100 years old. And as we were looking at those slides and looking at this great revival that God brought, some of the early slides, some of the older slides weren't uh, quite 100 years of age, but Mary showing these slides, Mary was in her late 70s at that time. She's still alive, as far as I know, at this very moment, but Mary Goldforth would have to be in her 90s herself. What a tremendous lady. And I asked her a question, because I know the sufferings of her mother and father are unbelievable. And I said, Mary, as you look at your father, what was the secret of his godliness? She said, Mr. Logan, I cannot remember ever getting up in China in the morning and rushing downstairs that I didn't find my father already in the Word of God reading. Her father was a man of this book. And then she said, do you realize that my mother lost all of her possessions, all the possessions of the family and of the children, 
everything except the clothes they had in their back five separate times in their lifetime. Lost everything. In fact, when you read their life, you find when Mary and Jonathan Goldford first went to China, they were out passing out tracks. They couldn't even speak Chinese very well. And they were living in a house, I believe, that they believed was haunted, so they let the missionaries live in it. And this house caught on fire, and they came back, and they watched everything they brought over in that clipper ship from Canada burning up into ashes and just could not be replaced. There was no way to replace these articles. And they were a young couple on their honeymoon practically, and Rosalind Goldforth was wringing her hands. And her husband reached over and said, Now, now, Rose, it is only things. And I thought, if I went home, or if you went home today, and everything that you owned was reduced to ashes, could you say, honey, don't worry about it. It's only things. So he said, beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you. Don't think of it as some strange thing that happened to you. Why should you, you or me, why should we be exempt from trials? Every Christian is to go through trials. He said, but when you go through the trials, instead of shoving them away, instead of uh, reacting to them, you and I, most of the time, or at some time in our Christian life, when we have a move of the Spirit of God in our life, will want to be godly. Is that not true? I say, oh God, help me to be godly. So here we are crying out to God for godliness. And then we push away the tools that God brings to bring in godliness. He tells us in verse 13, don't shove away the tools, but rejoice. Insomuch you are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory, that is the glory of Christ, shall be revealed that is in the suffering ye may be glad also with exceeding joy i cannot tell you the joy i had sitting with this man last week who is the head of one of the major revival organizations in america who has 60 days to live talking with him i felt so unvictorious as I looked at the joy and the radiance of Christ in his countenance. Tremendous, tremendous man of faith. As he radiated the Lord Jesus Christ, what a testimony this man has been through all of this. And so God's glory is revealed in suffering. Look at the... Uh, in Corinthians, I believe it's the end of 2 Corinthians. The Apostle Paul was writing of his own experience here. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he said, Lest I should be exalted above measure, through the abundance of revelation, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And God said to me, My grace is sufficient for thee. Paul, my strength is made perfect in your physical weakness. 
Paul said, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my physical weaknesses, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasures in, in infirmities, reproaches, necessities, persecutions, distress that come for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, that I am strong. But what is he saying here? He's saying, as I have been allowed to suffer as a Christian, and as I responded properly to that suffering and received it as of the Lord, the glow of God came upon my life. And the power of God was released in me and through me on my ministry. Paul said, take away my suffering. And God said, I will take my power off your ministry. Paul said, then I would rather have suffering. I would rather have the infirmity that your power may rest upon my ministry. He said, if ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are you. For the glory of God rests on you and on your ministry. On their part, he is evil spoken of. But on your part, you can glorify him. When you read the lives of men and women who were not outstanding men or outstanding women in of their own abilities, but these men and women change the course of history, you will see that they suffered tremendously and it threw them on God's power and God's power was released through their life and through their ministry. And God was glorified in their life. I challenge you to read the lives of these people. And it's amazing because you can see their weaknesses and yet you can see the power of God that superimposed upon their weaknesses and they became tremendously strong for God. Verse 15, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer, and here comes the interesting one, or as a busybody in other men's matters. And that's strange. What a list. Murderers, thieves, uh, evildoers, and then a busybody. We don't see busybodies being so bad. But God puts it in quite a list there. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. There are men and women, there are men in Nepal today that are suffering for their uh, commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. We're hearing about new freedoms in Soviet Union. I am not sure if that is true. I trust it is true. But many have suffered because they were Christians in Soviet Union, in Romania, in Czechoslovakia, in East Germany, and in the Eastern Bloc countries. There are many who are suffering in the Middle East, in the Emirates, and there are many who are suffering around the world because they have identified with Christ and his cause. So he says, if you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed, but let him give glory to God on this behalf. For the time is come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first began at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore, let him that suffer according to the will of God. Isn't that interesting? 
This is God's will. He said, if you suffer according to the will of God, commit the keeping of your souls to him in well-doing as unto the faithful creator. Isn't that interesting? Suffering according to the will of God. Are you suffering according to the will of God? Or are you suffering because of bad attitudes? Are you suffering according to the will of God? Or are you suffering because of sin in your own life? Are you suffering because you've offended someone and didn't make it right? On and on and on. But it is God's will that you and I suffer. And that is the will of God that I find difficult, and I think you will too. I do not choose to suffer. I do not want to suffer. The Apostle Paul, when he was called upon to suffer, at first prayed three times that God would remove that suffering. So it's important that you and I realize that it's part of God's will for our lives. Now let us go back and let us start studying through the book. First of all, he's going to talk about relationships in the workplace. He says in verse 13 of chapter 2 of 1 Peter, Submit yourselves therefore to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, not for your sake, but for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme, or to the governors, or as unto them that are sent for the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of them that do well. That would be the police department. For so is the will of God, that with well-doing he may put to silence the ignorant of foolish men, as free, not using your freedom or your liberty as a cloak or a covering of maliciousness, but as a servant of God. Honor all. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. Now he gets down to work relationships. Servants. Be subject to your master. Now remember, these servants were not basically free people, but they were owned by their masters. So here we're having instructions by the Apostle Paul to men who not only served a boss, but the boss even owned them. Servants, be subject to your master with all fear, not only to the good and the gentle, but also the difficult. So he said we are to serve our master with all fear. It's easy to serve someone who is gracious, who is kind, who is considerate, who motivates us by praise, who sees what we do, who says things. What about those that are difficult to please? He's talking about now our attitude towards those. He said, for this is thankworthy. If a man, for a clear conscience towards God, endures grief, suffering wrongly. He's saying, if you do right, and you're, as far as you know, you're doing all that you know how to do to do your job right, and the one who is over you is giving you a difficult time, and you take it patiently, he said, this is a tremendous opportunity. For how is God glorified when you're buffeted for your faults and you take it patiently? I mean, if you do wrong and you take it patiently, you ought to. That's what you're called to do. I mean, that is a normal thing to do. But when you do well and you suffer for doing well and you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God for hereunto were you called. What is our calling? Our calling is to walk with God 
and to suffer for doing well. That's the calling of the Christian. I had the privilege when I was teaching in a Bible college to have the opportunity to disciple a Royals baseball player that played for the Kansas City Royal baseball play team in Kansas City. God brought me into his life when he was going through a very difficult time. Whitey Herzog, who is probably one of the top coaches in America, was his coach. As Whitey was coaching him, his career was climbing up and up and up and up. In fact, just before Whitey left the Royals and came to the Cardinals, this man was to play all positions in one game, from catcher to pitcher, rotated in one evening, play every single position. He was going to do this. And the night before, he broke his finger and was not able to do it. And he saw that as a reward. He thought maybe it would be a real pride factor for him to do this in one, in one game to play all, all these positions. This man stayed on the team after Whitey left. This man was responsible with a couple other men to get chapels in the major leagues. So every Sunday, there's a major league game. The gospel is preached in the dugouts of both teams. Not really in the dugouts, but actually in the dressing rooms. They will go from one team to the other, and the gospel is presented, and the men who want to come, and they invite their friends, come to hear the gospel. I had an opportunity to preach the gospel in the dugouts and I had taken a church, and I said I would speak at that church. It was one of the great disappointments of my life that I was not able to speak to, uh, to the baseball players and share Christ with them. But I was discipling this fellow, and he got this going. He has on his baseball card, if you get it, in the uh, Royals uh, magazine that they give you, whatever they call those things, souvenir brochure that you get when you go to the games, you can buy one of those. With his picture is Romans 10, 8, 9, and 10. He signs it on all of his pictures. He signs uh, that tremendous portion of scripture. He signs baseballs with it. Whenever he was interviewed on television, he talked about the Lord Jesus Christ. Whenever they wrote about him in the newspaper, he talked about the Lord Jesus Christ. He's one of the most strong witness, witnesses for Jesus Christ that I know of in the sports world. As they were looking for a replacement for Wadi Herzog, they hired a man who was Jewish. And this man definitely did not like Christianity or this whole concept of Jesus Christ. And so he began to make it a public, uh, he, he began to take every public and private opportunity to attack this baseball player. Uh, one day, they were two minutes late coming from the religious meeting onto the field. He said if that happened again, he would cancel the preaching of the gospel in the, in the dugouts. That year, this baseball player, well, a number of things happened that year. I would go to the games and sit in the seats that he had, and he wouldn't play a whole evening. And then he would wait till every single player was hurt or couldn't play, and he put this fellow in. And wherever he put him in, he would do something spectacular, get his name in the paper, and he'd talk about Jesus Christ, which made this coach angry. And it was unbelievable how it, he would get in and do something, really. God would give him the ability to hit a home run 
or he'd pitch something fantastic, he'd do someone else's job and do a super job, and they'd write him up and they'd be upset. In fact, even in the other dugout, they would write on the blackboard that this coach disliked this player. Everybody knew it, and they knew why. And so here he is getting these opportunities to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ, and, the, and this coach was having a fit. Finally, in the midst of all of this, he was picked the most outstanding Christian athlete in America, which meant that he would get a national award that they give to Christian athletes. Usually, they give it on the pitcher's mound with the TV cameras and everybody sees it as they give you this award. This year, this coach said, when he gets the award, they'll give it into him in the tunnels. They will not give him a Christian award out here in front of everybody. So this friend of mine had to go into a dinky, dark tunnel under the bleachers, or under the stands, very dark, with the TV cameras and the lights in those little narrow cement hallways and receive the award as the outstanding Christian athlete in America. He was traded down in fact, he was traded to the Omaha team, and while he was there, he was able to lead a number of players to Christ. And he said, Jim, the reason God sent me down to the Omaha team is there were men there that needed Jesus Christ. Now, if he had gone down bitter and resentful and not seeing it was the will of God for him to suffer this way, no one would have become a Christian. But he went down there and he led people to Christ. He came back. Eventually, this coach got so angry with this fellow not because he said anything to the coach, not because he didn't do everything and try so hard, but because of his commitment to Jesus Christ. He was suffering as a Christian. This coach got so angry, he went to Ewing Kaufman, the one who owns the major interest in the Royals, and said, you must fire this player. And so this player's contract was terminated, and they paid him money not to play. And so when this happened, the news media came, they knew what was going on, and they wanted this player to begin to share how it was Judaism against Christianity, and this was a whole religious thing. And when they asked him about the whole thing, he said, I have no comments to make. And so he decided, we called on the phone, we talked together, we prayed together, what could he do? He realized that Christ left us an example. Now let's look at the example, and let me tell you what this man did. We looked at this in the scripture. For hereunto, verse 21, were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. How? And how to suffer for doing right. Jesus did no sin, neither was any trickery in his mouth. Jesus was not in trouble for what he said. Who, when he was reviled, he reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. He did not say, do you realize who I am? Do you realize what I could do? I could call thousands and thousands of angels, and they could come right now and squash all of you. My Heavenly Father could wipe you all out in one breath. Don't you realize that you are killing the Son of God? He threatened not. But what he did is he committed the situation into God's hands because God judges righteously. He said, Father, I commit this suffering into your hands. I commit the situation in your hands. Father, you take care of it. What do you and I need to do when we are suffering for doing right? We need to commit that situation into the hands of God and say, God, 
You know what's going on here. You understand. You see. I commit myself to you. And it said, Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. You were sheep going astray, but now I return to the shepherd and the bishop of your souls. What is he teaching us here? He's teaching us, he said, do you realize that we were wandering away? And the, the Lord Jesus was willing to suffer for doing right that he might provide to us spiritual healing, that we might be saved, that we might be put back into the very body of Christ. So this friend of mine, we looked at this, and we prayed about this, and he decided that he would go to the owner of the Royals team, and he called and made an appointment. When he walked in, Ewing Kaufman was very obviously nervous, probably wanting he was going to bring a baseball bat and bash his head in, because baseball players are not necessarily known for being patient, gracious, and kind. And when he came in, Mr. Kaufman was very nervous, and he's sitting there, and he said, uh, what do you want? Why are you here? And he said, Mr. Kaufman, before I leave, I just wanted to tell you how much I appreciated praying, playing for the Royals team. It, it's been a real joy. It's been one of the highlights of my sports career. I want to thank you as an owner for allowing me to be a part of such a wonderful organization as the Royals Baseball Association. He thanked his hands. I mean, he shook his hands. He thanked him. He turned around and he walked. And when he came to the door, Mr. Kaufman yelled out and said, Stop! He stopped and he turned around and said, We can't let you go. A man with an attitude like this, we must keep you on some way in this organization. And they hired him to be a forward scout. Then he became one of the managers of one of their farm teams. This man's desire is one day to be a big league coach of a major baseball team and also honor the Lord Jesus Christ and give the glory to him. I don't know how you're going to suffer, but you know God honored the suffering of this man. And many have come to Christ through his life because they know how they would have responded. They would have resisted God's grace and they would have become resentful and bitter, but he did not resent God's grace. He did not hang on. This is my rights. He did not hang on to his rights, but he committed that situation to God and said, oh God, you know what's going on here. You see how I'm suffering simply because I want people to know in the media. I want kids to know who I am and who I represent with my life. I commit the situation in your hands. You judge righteously. Father, we thank you for the example of the Lord Jesus Christ and how to suffer, that we are not to threaten, we are not to give even, but we are to yield ourselves to you, to your will and purpose for our lives. Father, I thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank you for this tremendous example in your word. And we know that you will empower us to suffer so that we might bring healing to others. Be glorified, Lord Jesus, in our lives. Be glorified through the suffering that you've called us to. Lord, we know that you never waste suffering. So may we walk in wisdom before you and those 
whisper on the outside. In Christ's marvelous name we 